<laughs> what do you like about Easter? Celebrate with your family. Easter hunting for eggs. You get to open them and there's stuff in there. Money and grass. Lots of candy. What does the Easter bunny do? Hops. He hides the eggs. He's a person that's dressed up in a costume. Who is Jesus? Jesus is like a person God. He is God's son. What does Jesus look like? Long brown hair and a brown beard. And he's got like a robe on. He has this belt, like what karate people wear, I think. Who are the disciples? Twelve chosen followers of Jesus. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, and Valphius, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, Bartholomew. They're the good guys. What did Jesus teach? How to pray and that God's real. To always love one another when it's hard. Teaching them about Christmas and Valentine's Day. What kinds of miracles did Jesus do? He turned water into wine. He made five loaves and two fishes spread a long way. He helped people if they were sick. He walked on water. There was a storm and it was all windy and they said, Jesus, Jesus, and then he calmed it down so, so they won't be scared. What would be a really cool miracle for him to do? For me to be a superhero like Batman. Let me ride a shark. Fix the government. What did they eat at the Last Supper? Bread and like some dipping sauce. Chicken nuggets and french rice. And there's the juice. Some vegetables with chocolate on it. Why did some people not like Jesus? That everybody was calling him king. They didn't believe that he was God's son. They thought he would only hang out with the people who had done no sin, but he helped the sinners because they're the ones who needed help. What did those people do to Jesus? There were swords trying to capture him, whipped him, and put a crown of thorns on his head, and made him carry the cross a long way. Put him on a cross and stab him. They hurted his heart. He died on Good Friday. And then somebody put him in a tube that had this big rock over it. What happened on Sunday morning? He grew from the ground. He rose from the dead. What did the disciples do when they saw Jesus? Very afraid. Thought he was a ghost. They saw the scars. They touched him. Jesus, Jesus is alive. I'm alive. They were so happy. How do we follow Jesus? Confess our sins. We ask him into our heart by praying. And then he's like in our heart. <laughs> Why did Jesus do all of this? It was all for us because he loves us. He said, I don't want them to be scared. And whenever they're hurt, I want to help. Well, good morning. Welcome and happy Easter. Thank you for taking time out of all of your Easter celebrations this weekend to join us in worship this morning. We're glad that you're here. So when you think about Easter, what are your expectations for Easter? Maybe you have expectations for what will be served at lunch. Ham? 
How many ham people are going to have ham today for lunch? Yeah, a lot of people. So that was my thing growing up. My grandpa had like this special rub he put on the ham. Nobody could really replicate it. We haven't had ham like grandpa's in a couple of years. We expect kids to be dressed up in nice dresses and shirts and ties and suits and they're all pastel colored and kids, I'm sorry, I don't know why we do that to you, but for some reason we expect that on Easter. You expect Easter baskets full of candy. Do you guys still get Easter baskets full of candy? Yeah, oh yeah, there's some yelling in the back, I love that. You gotta, and they've gotta have Reese's peanut butter cups, right? Or, and if you're not gonna have Reese's peanut butter cups, the only acceptable substitute for that is a, jelly, is a Starburst jelly bean, all right? So I'm a little picky about my jelly beans. And when I was a kid, I always wanted, my mom found this lady who made homemade peanut butter eggs. And they were relatively the same size as my head when I was a small child. And they were huge. And we would like cut pieces like it was fudge almost. And oh my gosh, it was so good. And then you've got that expectation that's kind of lingering in the back of your mind, right? It's that expectation that sometime at the end of May, you're going to find that one hard-boiled Easter egg that nobody found in the Easter egg hunt, right? And you don't want to find that egg. <laughs> you see, we decorate with bright colors. We come with high energy. We have high expectations for these amazing things because we know how the story ends. Hope has come. Life is available. Death has been defeated. And the tomb is empty. That's the message of Easter Sunday. But what happens when our real expectations of life go unmet? How do we respond to unmet expectations? How will you respond today if you show up for family dinner and there is no ham? Or maybe on a much deeper and much more painful level, how will we respond when we show up today to spend Easter with family and friends and that beloved family member isn't there, that friend isn't there for one reason or another. I think maybe one of the hardest things to deal with in life is when we don't get our expectations met. Maybe the first step in dealing with unmet expectations is to actually verbalize what our expectations really are. We all have them, you have them, I have them, we have expectations for life. I expect that every nation is free to govern themselves, not fear of invasion of neighboring countries. We expect that all parents will love and care for and protect their children at all cost. We expect that people should be able to get on the subway and ride at home from work or from school without fear of gunshots. You expect this sermon to be short because you have places to go and things to do today. I know you do. You can tell me at the end if that expectation is met or unmet. I think the disciples had expectations of Jesus. 
When, they, when Jesus entered Jerusalem a week ago on Palm Sunday, the disciples expected Jesus to take his rightful place as king of the Jews, to overthrow the Roman Empire, to establish a new government, to free the Israelites from Roman oppression. And those expectations began to see their fulfillment when on Monday, Jesus walks in the temple and flips the tables. And he's like, listen, this is not how it's going to be in my father's house. And those expectations continued to rise all throughout the week as he taught and challenged the religious leaders of his day. He called them hypocrites. He insulted them. And he's like, listen, this is not how it's going to be. And the disciples are like, yeah, this is what we expected. Finally, it took three years, but it's here. And then all of a sudden, they gather in an upper room And those expectations begin to come down just a little bit as the one who would be king kneels and washes their feet. And then he begins to teach them he's doing the best he can to lower their expectations because he sees that their expectations are not what's going to happen. He teaches them and instructs them But Thursday night, all those expectations come crashing to the ground when the king of the Jews is arrested. I don't think a single one of the disciples expected on Friday to stand as Jesus hung on the cross and died. You see, it's one thing when people don't meet our expectations when those around us don't live up to what we expect them to do. But it's a whole different thing when God doesn't do or meet what we expected him to do. And my guess is in a crowd this size today, there are more than one of us who have had something in our lives where we expected God to show up and do something. We'd prayed about it, we'd asked about it, we'd hoped for it. And God was silent. Maybe in our eyes, from the answer we wanted, we'd say God failed. And what do we do when God doesn't meet our expectations? You see, I think there's two options. We can draw closer. We can draw closer and say, God, we believe that you have something better planned than I could ever imagine. Or what so many of us do is we push him away and we lower our expectations of God. Maybe we stop believing altogether and we wonder, you know, you, you promise all these good things, but that's not what I've experienced. And we pull back. And maybe we even begin to question, is God even real? Unmet expectations hurt the most when they come from someone who we know has the power and ability to do what we want or what we believe is right, but they don't. That's where the disciples were. They'd seen Jesus heal people. They'd seen him speak words and the storm stopped. They'd watched him cast out demons. They'd watched him challenge religious authorities. They watched him raise somebody from the grave. How can somebody who beats death for someone else die themselves? 
Truth is, Jesus had an entirely different agenda for this last week of his life and for this Easter Sunday than what the disciples could see. C.S. Lewis talks about that in this way. He says, It would seem that Jesus finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. Anybody want to go make mud pies in your backyard? Or who'd rather be on a cruise? We're far too easily pleased. See, God had much bigger plans. Jesus had much bigger plans for what this week would be than just to overthrow the Roman government. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 20, verse 11, or you can pull out your phone. If you're using a paper Bible, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You get to Acts. You went too far. Go back towards the front. Or you can pull out your phone on the YouVersion Bible app, and if you want our notes, if you click at the bottom corner of YouVersion, you'll see it down there. It says events. You can search Great Oaks and find all the notes for the sermon today. But as we look at John's gospel, John's focus is on this idea that believing is action. And John's focus is underscored that the act of believing is a believing in someone. And that someone is Jesus. And so this morning we're going to look at the conclusion of Jesus' public ministry in John's book. And I hope that as we look at this, we understand that faith is about a relationship. Faith is about a relationship with Jesus. And the truth John's pushing us to in that relationship is that Jesus meets us in our unmet expectations with unexpected answers. So if you begin at the begin, very beginning of, verse, of chapter 20, you'll see Mary Magdalene has actually already been to the tomb. She goes twice this Sunday morning and she rushes there. She goes to prepare Jesus' body for burial and she finds the tomb empty. So she leaves and runs back, gets Peter and John. She's like, the tomb is empty. His body's gone. I don't know where it went. And they go sprinting back. And if you don't think the Bible has humor in it, Don't miss this story. Read the first 10 verses of John chapter 20. Because in the midst of the Messiah being missing, the Savior of the world is gone. John pauses just long enough to to make sure that it is recorded in history that he is a better sprinter than Peter. He wants everybody to know I'm faster than Peter, and I beat him to that tomb. So if you think there's no humor in the Bible, just read more closely. It's there. It's just between the lines. But John, in typical John fashion, sprints to the tomb and stops at the entrance and looks in. But not Peter. Peter's never stopped at the entrance of anything. Peter just sprints right past John, right into the tomb, and he walks around the tomb. And what Peter sees are the burial clothes laying on the floor, but Jesus is not there. And John tells us at this moment... He believed and understood the scriptures that the Messiah had to die. John didn't understand that on Good Friday. John, one of the closest three people to Jesus in all of scripture, understood that when he saw the empty tomb. Oddly enough, Peter and John just leave. 
To them, maybe this is just one more unexpected event after an entire week of unexpected events, and they might just be numb to everything that's happening. And this is where our story begins today in verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned and cried out, Rabboni, which in Hebrew means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go and find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave, him, gave them his message. While Jesus is the answer might be the most churchy statement we can ever say when someone's in the midst of pain or suffering, to just be like, it's going to be okay, Jesus will be there. It's also one of the most profound truths that we have to realize. Jesus' two questions for Mary show the depth and power of the statement, Jesus is the answer. The first question Jesus asked is, why are you crying? You ever think, I know he's God, but did he lose his mind sometimes? Why are you crying? She's in a cemetery. This is no less weird than it would be to walk into a funeral home today and walk up to the person who's grieving, who's just lost a friend or a mentor or a beloved family member and be like, why are you sad? Why am I sad? Mary says, why am I grieving? Because I've just watched my teacher, the one I love, the one who loved me, be crucified. The man who freed me from demon possession is gone. The man who was willing to teach women and who gave, and gave me worth when everybody else thought I was a second-class citizen has died. Why am I crying? I'm weeping because my Savior is gone. And I'm weeping because I was unable to bury him. Because of religious ceremonies at the time, Mary couldn't even give Jesus the burial he deserved when he deserved it. And so she's come on Sunday morning to bury her Savior. Why are we weeping today? Right, it's Easter, it's supposed to be happy. Everybody puts on their happy face, we put on our pastel shirts, we do everything we can, we show up, and it's a great day, and we go, there's an Easter bunny, let's go look for eggs. Some of you are like, I just want you to be done so I can get to lunch, that's why I'm here. I don't know what you're talking about being happy. But we do that, right? We put on this happy face, but below the surface of all that, our hearts are breaking for what we see happening all around us. Maybe your heart breaks today 
because we live in a society where social discourse and civil discourse keeps breaking down. Instead of saying, let's agree to disagree on that, we say, I'm going to stake my claim here and you stake your claim here and then let's lob bombs at each other across social media. We can't even learn from each other anymore. Maybe your heart is broken and you're weeping today because you see the reality on the news that once again a race of people is trying to eliminate another race of people and we see headlines about genocide. And we cry out, how long, God? How long? Maybe your heart breaks and you weep for the poverty that's all around us, for the fact that there are kids and families in our community that if it wasn't for a backpack that went home for fr- on Friday and free lunch every day through the week, there'd be kids in our community who don't eat. And that breaks our heart. And it's only going to get worse as our current economic situation and crisis continues. Maybe you're not weeping for the stuff outside your window. Maybe there's things going on inside the windows of your home that are breaking your heart. Maybe you've lost a job. You thought you were going to get that promotion and it didn't come through. Maybe there's a relationship that's falling apart and you're trying to figure out how to save it. Maybe there's illness, the death of a loved one. Why are you weeping today? It's in the midst of Jesus' question, why are you weeping, that comes his second question. And I think as we think through what breaks our hearts this day, this question is powerful. Who are you looking for? The crowds last Sunday on Palm Sunday were looking for a king to come in and overthrow the government. They were looking for somebody to come in and lead them. They were looking for a leader, but that's not who Mary came to the tomb today looking for. Mary came looking for Jesus. She came looking for the one who taught her. She came looking for the one whose feet she bowed at and anointed with her tears. She came looking for the God who knew her and loved her. She came looking for her Savior one more time to offer an act of worship. But his body's gone. It's no longer there. Mary was simply looking for Jesus. Author and international speaker Liz Curtis Higgs says this about the two questions Jesus asked Mary. Jesus knew why Mary was crying. Just as he understands what makes us weep, even so he asked the same question the angels had put to her, not to embarrass her, not but to encourage her, No need for tears, Mary. Not anymore. Who is it you are looking for? Jesus asked the second question on the heels of the first, helping her move past her tears so she could move past her fears. He's not dead, Mary. Look, see, in the darkness of her sorrow, Mary Magdalene needed someone to assure her that one day life would make sense again. 
that she wouldn't be dry-eyed and in her right mind, that all was not lost. Who better to tell her than her beloved Savior? Jesus meets us in our unmet expectations with unexpected answers. And the first answer Jesus has for Mary is, I am here. This is important for us. Because in the midst of our weeping, in the midst of our pain, when we feel all alone, the truth of Scripture is that Jesus is there. Mary didn't see him. And often we don't either. And sometimes when we don't see him in those moments, we convince ourselves he's left us alone. But that's not true. Jesus is present in our most painful and anxious moments. He was present in the garden next to Mary when she thought her Savior had died. He's present at the tomb where death should reign, but he's alive. Jesus' physical presence brings comfort to Mary's loss. When our lives hurt and unimaginable things happen, Jesus is there. He's there to bring the comfort that only he can bring. He's there to provide a sense and a place of belonging where it's safe to grieve. And I want you to notice this. Jesus never once in that garden looks at Mary and says, stop it. He lets her grieve. He comforts her in her grief. Grieving is not about ignoring the pain. Grieving is not about shoving it to the side. Grieving is about believing Jesus is in that moment with us and trusting that he's going to work in ways that only he can work, which is actually his second answer. I am hope. In the midst of Mary's grieving, Jesus brings hope. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of the things that breaks our lives, Jesus is hope. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. Death has been defeated. Jesus is alive. And Jesus can transform our lives. Mary knew that better than anybody Listen to the words of Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Soon afterwards, Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, among them some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he'd cast out seven demons. I'm sure there were days prior to meeting Jesus that Mary wondered, how am I going to get through? Is there any hope for me? Is there any hope that life could be better? Am I doomed to live this miserable existence? And Jesus set her free. But she's not the only one. There's a story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4 where Jesus comes into this area called Samaria 
where the hated people of that day live. And he stops at a well to get water. In the middle of the day, there's a woman there. Jesus is a Jewish leader. Jews and rabbis don't talk. Jesus is a man. This is a Samaritan female. They sure don't talk. And they begin to talk about faith and about worship and about who God is. And Jesus says, you should go and get your husband and we can continue this conversation. And she says, I'm not married. And please don't miss this. Jesus doesn't come back with a condemning response. If it was condemning, I don't think the answer, or I don't think the re- re- response of the Samaritan woman would be the same. He looks at her and says, I know you've had five husbands and the one you're with isn't your husband. And she responds by going into the village and telling everybody to come out. Take a look at John 4, 29. Come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Jesus speaks hope and truth and life into Mary's life, into the woman at the well's life, and he wants to do the same for you and for me if we'll allow him. Jesus is the hope we're looking for. He is the opportunity. Which leads us to our third answer. Jesus' third answer to our questions, to our unmet expectations is don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. Mary is blinded to see the events going on around her until Jesus says, Mary. He knows her name. He knows who she is. He knows her story. He knows what she's done. He knows what she can do. He knows who she is, and she is his daughter. The one he loved. The one he set free. You see, church, we live in a world that defines our identity by all kinds of extra outside things that won't hold up when life falls apart. We're defined by what we're good at, by what we've done, by who we sleep with, by who we vote for, by the color of our skin. And Jesus says, none of that matters. You are my son and you are my daughter and I love you. You are a child of the God who created you. In his image, a child of the one who knows everything you've done and who has nothing but forgiveness to offer. That's the truth of who you are. That identity will never break down. That identity will never change. And that identity is available for everybody here. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your future is. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. You belong to the creator of the universe. And your worth is in who Jesus says you are, not in who everybody else thinks you are. Jesus loves you more than you can ever imagine. And he wants nothing more than to welcome you in to his family. 
And to receive that identity, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe I am a sinner and I've made mistakes. And Jesus, I need your forgiveness. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that in just a minute, I'm going to pray a prayer. And you can say that after me. There's nothing magical in those words. There won't be a spotlight or anything that falls from the ceiling on you. No one will know. But it'll change your life. It'll be your opportunity to experience the hope that Jesus has made available for each and every one of us. And church, for those of us who have already placed our faith in Jesus, this story of Mary in the garden gives us a mission. Jesus told Mary not to cling to him, but to go and tell the disciples, listen to John 20, 17 again, go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord. That's our mission. We're to go and tell. We're to go and tell everybody around us everything we've experienced, the grace we've received, the joy we have, the hope we've found. Who do you know this Easter? who needs to know that God has a new identity for them. An identity that won't change, that won't break, that isn't dependent on what they do. If you base your identity on what you can do, what happens to the athlete who breaks his leg? Jesus says your identity is in me. Who do you know who needs to hear the hope of Easter? We need to remember again that Jesus is the answer to what we're all looking for, but he's a different answer than we're expecting. He wasn't necessarily the answer that Mary or the disciples or those gathered on that first Easter had. But until we acknowledge the mistakes we've made, the sins we've committed, there's no need for a savior. But when we realize that each and every one of us makes mistakes every day, We have to have Easter. And church, this year, maybe more than ever, we need Easter. We need the hope that Jesus has to offer. And the people outside our windows, the ones we're called to serve, the ones we're called to love, they need Easter. And they need us to bring that hope to them. Sunday's here. Hope has come. Jesus will one day come again. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because Jesus met us in our unmet expectations with unexpected answers. Will you pray with me? If you're here this morning and you are like, I'm ready. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I just want you to repeat these words after me. You can repeat them silently in your heart. Jesus, I've kept you out of my life for too long. I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, paying for my sins, rising out of the grave to ensure my salvation. I turn away from my sin and I turn to you. Jesus, thank you for loving me. 
I accept you into my heart as my Savior and my Lord. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come to this place today and we're reminded that again on Easter Sunday, the tomb was empty. Death was defeated. Our sin was forgiven. We're set free. We have hope. Hope that this life is not all there is. Hope that you will come again. God, as your arms were stretched wide on that cross on Friday night, we see how much you love us. And as we see on Sunday morning an empty tomb, we're reminded that those are not empty words, but they're words backed by actions that we can't explain. As you conquered death. God, may we feel you in our lives this week. As we weep, may we know you're with us. May we never forget who you've said we are. And God, give us courage. Give us eyes to see that we may take that hope to a world that needs to hear it so that they can know how much you love them. Thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.